Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Welcome to the Sickle Cycle Podcast, a monthly conversation about sickle cell disease. I'm your host, Charlotte Curtis. Welcome to our October episode where we will discuss the journey of motherhood. And I'm fortunate to have my mother, Dr. Jacqueline Flemings, participate in this episode. So, Mom, welcome. Thank you very much, Charlotte. So, Mom, I want to start from the beginning and ask you, when did you first find out that I had sickle cell disease? I actually found out that you had sickle cell disease when the doctor took a test taking um, my my, um, blood and dad's blood to see what blood type we had. And when they discovered that dad was SC and I was SS hemoglobin, then that told us there was a possibility of a pregnancy resulting in an SC child. So I was actually pregnant with you when we had the test, and that's how we found out that you would be an SC baby. And what was your reaction? Well, my reaction was that I believed in God, and I read as much as I could about SC disease. And I equipped myself with um, preparing for your birth and praying that everything would be fine. I never thought for one moment to end the pregnancy, which was recommended because I felt that you were a gift from God. And if the Lord wanted to do anything different, then the Lord would but that was not a decision. You mentioned that it was recommended for you to end the pregnancy. Why was that? The reason was the doctor felt that in some cases, an SC child would have a lot of complications medically. And it was felt that we had two healthy children. The first child has AS, um, hemoglobin, and the second child um, has AA hemoglobin. And there are some SC children that are extremely severe in their medical difficulty. And the doctor felt it might be too much stress and strain on me to have a third child and the child be sick. And did you understand at that time where sickle cell came from um, in terms of family history? Well, actually, I did because after the first child was born, Lorena, and she had A of S, the doctor asked me while we were in the hospital who had the trait. So so sure enough, when they tested our hemoglobin, dad was um, A C and I was AS, so the S came from me. So I inquired um, to my mom, and at the time my father was deceased, 
And she said it was on his side that he had the S. But that's, I knew that there was a chance of, and because we went to genetic counseling after the first child, and they told us there was a, there was a chance that each time we got pregnant, that we could have a child that has, that had SC disease. And so there will be a one in four chance that you would have one a child. In, that's right. One in four. That is correct. Were you concerned about caring for a child with sickle cell disease? No, I really wasn't because I really felt, I went to some additional seminars um, for sickle cell um, children. And I just felt that the Lord would be with me. I also connected with the sickle cell agency in Richmond, Virginia, and met a wonderful um, nurse, and Miss um, Cooper. And she guided me, and I specifically said to her, you know, I'm going to need help because, you know, I have two other children. And I said that, do you know of anyone that would be a good person to care for um, the, the, our, you know, we didn't know what we have. We were having a girl or boy. The um, the third child. Whenever I decided to go back to work, and she was very instrumental in finding me a wonderful caretaker, who we still keep in contact with today, Aunt Dory, and she was was the one that helped me and guided me um, with you to make sure that there weren't a lot of kids around. She was real protective. And she had been um, a secretary in the, the um, Department of Health in New York City. So she was very, very familiar with keeping up with a lot of medical terms and different kinds of things. And did Ms. Cooper also recommend for you to see a specific physician? Um, actually, she did. At the time, we were seeing Dr. Draper, and she said, great, he's an excellent doctor. But she also helped me get affiliated and connected with the sickle cell um, clinic at, at MCV Medical College of Virginia. And then when would you say that I started experiencing complications from sickle cell disease? I think the first time, it was real interesting, when you would cry and get real upset. It was almost like you were having a mini seizure because you stiffened up so, okay? And at first we thought it was because you were wanting to have your way because you didn't get something. But then we realized that you, it, it, you, you looked a little different when you stiffened up. And it was like you had pushed yourself into a tizzy to get upset. But then you started rubbing your legs. And this is like before you could really say legs or anything like that. So then we started rubbing your legs. And then your little head started nodding like, yes, that's soothing, that's soothing. So what we found is that um, before you got real upset, and, and you getting upset was an indication to us that you were in pain. So that's how we knew to rub your legs and rub your arms. You would point to where the pain was and, and that's what we would do. We would, we would rub it or put warm um, um, washcloths on your, um, 
on, on where there was aches and pains. So what age would you say that was? You must have, you, you, were, you, you couldn't even talk. You were um, like one years old. Because the interesting thing is that for, um, at first, every time we went to the doctor, up until about six months, they kept checking your blood and they said, yes, she has sickle cell, but we don't see any crisis or anything like that that she's having. So what we did is I read up on a lot of things and it just said, make sure she's, you know, she's, she's got plenty of liquid, plenty of water, um, stays, um, um, you know, juice or, or whatever she wants so that she doesn't get dehydrated. And then also, like, we knew, like, if the other kids went outside to play in the snow, we let you go out, too. But we brought you back in and changed your, um, your socks and your, and your clothes to make sure you weren't getting wet. So one of the things that I've noticed is that you were very instrumental in finding physicians, talking to nurses. Right. And also attending as many conferences that I could attend on a child with sickle cell, going, attending support groups, reading everything that I could read. And I started collecting information that I would then share with the, t the teachers when you would go to school, just in case they were not as familiar with how to care for a child with sickle cell. Now, in most cases, the nurses were um, familiar with it. However, one of the nurses had never had a student at the school that had sickle cell. And a lot of the teachers had never had a student that had um, SC disease. And so it was important, especially since we were in Virginia and it was really hot, for them to allow you to keep water, uh, a water bottle uh, 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 near your desk so that if you needed to drink water and also to allow you to go to the bathroom as often as you needed to go to the bathroom. So you read up on a lot of the complications to understand what are the best ways for you to care for a child with sickle cell disease, but also to make sure that you were able to advocate for your child with sickle cell disease. Oh, most definitely. So caring for a child with sickle cell disease and having two other children that didn't have sickle cell disease, was your care or your attention a little bit different between the other two children, do you think? I don't think so so it was never a thing that Charlotte is the sick one. We just made sure that whatever needed to be done, we did. It's interesting hearing you talk about some of the things that you had to go through during pregnancy, but then also with raising me because I'm now raising my own daughter, you know, my mother's a black woman, now I'm raising a black woman, and it's just an interesting intersection. And I just think about, you know, my journey for pregnancy, my journey to motherhood, and what similarities and what differences have taken place through, our, through both of our journeys. It's a good point. It's a good point. It's a, it's a beautiful um, experience to have. And one of the things is always to surround yourself with love and care and people that want the best for you. It, it's a beautiful thing for me to witness you caring and loving 
your child because it's like an extension. Do I worry about you as a um, mother? I worry about you, but I know that it's a, it's a major responsibility to be a mother, but you are an excellent mother and will continue to be an excellent mother. And I'll always be here to help you and guide you in any way. Thanks, mom. Um, one of the things that I found to be helpful as you were discussing the importance of finding physicians, finding advocates, finding the best care that's possible for your child, but also research is the same thing I had to do, you know, during pregnancy, um, having difficulties during pregnancy, balancing having two miscarriages, one at eight weeks and another at five months, which included giving birth to that child, which was the most dreadful experience of my life. Um, mm -hmm. Just understanding so much that takes place on the body, um, mm -hmm. emotionally, physically, and what women have to go through in order to have a child is I don't take it lightly. And I think people that are in different situations to conceive understand how difficult it can be um, and even to prepare your body to have a child. And so when you discussed, you know, the importance of drinking water and how that was instrumental for me as a child and for you during pregnancy, it's the same thing I have to do now, even with breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things is that um, when you know better, you should do better. See, education and the conversations that women are now having about their bodies is so essential and so important. Years ago, people did not talk about a miscarriage. People didn't readily say, I have a child with SC disease because some, somebody not knowing what it is and say, oh, wow, can I catch it too? If she sits next to me and touches me. And then there was also the embarrassment a lot of times for the child. If you told the teacher that she had SC disease, if the teacher did not know what sickle cell was, they might think, oh, well, maybe I got to tell the whole class or maybe um, somebody else could catch it or maybe somebody else might not want the, um, somebody to play with them or even having little friends because one of the things for um, um, little um, for children with SD or sickle cell, they tend to, to wet the bed more because of the fact that they're always drinking water. And sometimes um, a lot of little kids don't always get up to go to the bathroom, okay? when they have to go to the bathroom. They'll, they'll, and the other thing is a lot of times they'll be playing outside and having so much fun and they don't want to stop to go to the bathroom. So they'll come running, dashing in the house and before they get to the bathroom, they've had a little, little accident. So I think that now more things are more open. People are starting to talk about it more, about their bodies. And so that's a, that's a plus. That's a, that's a big plus. And then um, you find out that miscarriages were not only happening to you, but it 
it could very well have been your mother. I know my grandmother, my mother, excuse me, my mom, she had a miscarriage. Um, but years ago, people didn't have those conversations with their mom. I mean, those, those are, I mean, you said it right. Those are essential conversations because mm -hmm. I think for me, um, going through that process, I didn't necessarily feel alone, but I definitely felt, one, I felt, why me? Two, mm -hmm. I was embarrassed by it because mm -hmm. here we are telling everyone that we're pregnant, everyone's so excited. And so just the disappointment um, of not, having the child and not being able to have the child at that time was extremely, extremely painful and not knowing who else had these kind of experiences makes you feel like you don't want to overshare because to say or how to say it. And also people don't even know how to even comfort you because again, people don't really talk about these things. But then as you start to read about other women, you find out that some women had seven miscarriages. You follow me? And, and the way that I looked at it, it, it saddened me for a moment. But then I believed in God. And I said, when the time is right, God will make it happen. God does everything and puts us in situations and helps us to experience things. So then when we do have a child, we truly understand this is a miracle from the Lord, honey, because only a God could have done it. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's exactly what you said when I called you at the hospital. You were like, this is not the time, um, but God is in control. Uh, right. And so I was more concerned about the shame, guilt, disappointment, all those mixed emotions. But then also I had a, a part of me, anytime I get sick or anytime um, something happens to me, I think the sickle cell play a part in this. And after talking to my hematologist, after talking to a couple of specialists, they mentioned that there's no way to rule it out. But based off of my past history, there's no way to say that this is exactly because of sickle cell. Um, I had a fibroid and the fibroid was growing uh, at a large rate um, just due to the estrogen that's during pregnancy, it feeds off of the fibroids, so the fibroids were growing. Um, and as a result, you know, after the second miscarriage, um, I, I decided to have surgery to get my fibroids removed. And then I waited a while after having the surgery. I had talked to more specialists before we went down this road again um, to plan to have a baby. And all of the physicians said, I see nothing wrong with you being able to conceive. Um, right. And also, too, with pregnancy, you just don't know. I could, I could have saw 10 specialists and still wouldn't have any concrete answers. But it goes back to what you said. You have to trust God. If God is in control and you fully believe that, where is right. your faith? You need to walk by faith, not by sight. And my goal was to put myself in the best mental space, emotional state, um, to be able to prepare to have this child that I wanted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But really getting my mind focused on being intentional about having a child and putting myself in the best position. And during the pregnancy, I was, I was nervous, and that's why I didn't share it with everyone. Um, because you have to just build up your own mental 
almost your mental strength. When you're, when you're pregnant, your body is going through um, a different kind of change. It's like an out of body experience. Your body, your stomach is growing, your, you know, different parts of your body is changing, whether it's changing size or color or shape, and you really don't know. And that's why it's so important for you to take care of your feet, for you to rest, keep your legs up. You know, if someone wants to come over and bring you some food, say thank you so much, okay? And then you have to be careful of what you eat and you have to really, really pamper yourself and not even while you're pregnant also, but even after you're pregnant. There should be a period that you get a lot of love and care and mommy time with you and your child to get your body back into the routine. And then in your case, you're breastfeeding. So breastfeeding takes the strain on your body too. Oh, the breastfeeding is something that no one can ever prepare you for. I'm trying to tell you, honey. It's, it's, it, but it's a beautiful thing because look at how nature provides. Look at how God says, wherever you go, your child is going to go. And they're going to always have food. You may have to bring some crackers, but your baby's going to be able to eat on demand. So I think that it, it's so important that you have a deep belief in God and you have a loving husband the Lord has blessed you with. You got loving, a loving family. And believe it or not, there were a lot of people praying for you that you didn't even know was praying for you. I had all my girlfriends praying, okay? Everybody was praying. And, and that's what sustains you. And your husband was so proud and so happy when the baby was born. And so look what God has done. But nobody can prepare you for childbirth. So that's how come childbirth is a miracle, okay? And, and the, the same thing that God puts you through, there's a reason that he puts you through those kinds of things so that when you get what he has for you, it's, it's like a precious jewel and you'll never forget it. You'll always love it. And you'll also become a blessing to other women that have sickle cell that don't think they could get pregnant and they get pregnant. Don't think they'll be able to breastfeed. Don't think they'll be able to do this. You become a role model for them to look what's possible if you believe and you have a support system. You've got to have a good support system. You keep all the negative naysayers away from you. Okay. And you, you just believe and you surround yourself with, with, with the good. That's the mommy advice right there. Keep the naysayers away from you. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things is, um, it's easy to talk about something after you've been on the other side of it, but it was extremely difficult to talk about it um, while we were trying, while we were grieving, while we were um, in the midst of it. I think everything that happens to you is not going to be good, but you can find the good in it 
for yes. purpose. There's right. purpose in everything. Yes. And um, it's up to you to kind of find that purpose. And sometimes it's a test. It's a test to see, well, what kind of mother are you really going to be? Okay. Are you going to be the mother that's going to be saying to your child, I don't think you could do this because something could happen. Or are you going to be the, 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 the kind of mother that says, you know, if you don't try, you'll never know. Eye-opening because right. you mentioned earlier in reference to attending support groups for families that had a child with sickle cell disease. Mm -hmm. And now you're discussing seeing the process of trying to figure out what kind of parent you will be. What did you find most beneficial in those support groups? What I found most beneficial in the support groups was finding out what other resource, what resources were out there. Like there were camps, it was sickle cell camps that, that, that parents could go to. We could talk about what kind of medication is your child taking now, what was some negative things was that when parents said, oh, he can't do this or he can't do that because he has sickle cell and I don't want him to get hurt. So what we did is we allowed you to try every sport you wanted to try and then let you decide if that was something you were still interested in. That was very beneficial to me because as I've met other patients with sickle cell disease um, that were more nervous, more cautious to do things, they limit themselves. Um, <laughs> if you think you can't do it, then how are you ever going to achieve it? And then even when you wanted to go out of the country, as long as we put some things in place. Okay, so if you get sick, what hospital are you going to go to? What's the next step? You always had to have a plan. And then we also made sure that your doctors were very supportive. And they always made sure that they had made contact with the nearest hospital if you were out of the country or if you were away at school, what would be the hospital they would recommend? It's like, how did you find physicians for me? Was Okay, so... Um, when we knew we were moving to Philadelphia, the clinic at MCV, Miss um, Cooper, she was the one who identified the hospital and the doctor, Dr. Frampon, um, who um, we should connect with. She even went as far as to, to give him a, a phone call to let him know she, um, you know, had this patient that was moving here to the Philadelphia area. And the, the first week we were here, we were down at Children's Hospital. I think we saw Dr. Kilowoski, Janet Kilowoski, as well as Dr. Um, Frampon. And I believe you were like eight. And that's when we started um, seeing them the first week we were here. The second time or maybe third time that you brought up uh, Miss Cooper, and mm -hmm. just hearing you talk about her just brought back so many memories in the sense of camps, the sickle cell summer camps, the opportunity to meet other um, patients with sickle cell. So I never felt like, oh, it's disease, why am I the only one with this, with this disease? I knew mm -hmm. there were so many other kids that had it um, mm -hmm. and also saw firsthand some of their other complications. So I never felt alone in that way. Um, and then also with Miss Cooper providing 
resources, but then also being pivotal and finding the best physician for me. So Florence Cooper, she's amazing. Um, Her life's work has been in sickle cell. And, you know, I just really didn't realize how instrumental she was in providing quality care for myself. Right. And see, one of the things that's so important is that you have to find your tribe. You have to find your people. You have to find your network. You have to find your connectors. And even as you get older, you have to know, you have, you have to now know who is your doctor? Who's your eye doctor? Who's your foot doctor? Okay. Who's your pediatrician for your child? Okay. What is some of the, and you have to be the one that have to educate them. And that's how come I made sure that when I took you to Ms. Cooper, when I took you to Dr. Frampon, you knew everybody at MCV, okay? And they knew you because it's really enabling the child to be able to take care of themselves. Because sometimes mommy might not be there, daddy may not be there, and they need to be able to advocate for themselves. Before we knew the word advocacy, we just said we speaking up for ourselves. Okay, we asking questions. We're trying to find out what's the best um, person or doctor for us. What's the best team to work um, for us? Because think about it. When the doctor goes in to do surgery, he doesn't go in by himself. He goes in with a team. So the team approach is so important, and that's the way it should be for a sickle cell patient. And I think that applies to not just sickle cell patients, but everybody. And that's, that's the message that you want to get across. Sickle cell is not going to hold me back. You know, yes, I have it, but it doesn't have me. And, and I think that's, important. you know, it's important to having parents that instill that in you at an early age in order for you to feel empowered to mm-hmm. walk into that. And so yeah. as we close Do you have any final words that you would like to say to our listeners? Yes, I'd like to definitely say that I'm so proud of of you, Charlotte. We we are so proud of you, Dad and I. And um, I want to encourage you to walk in your light, okay? You have so much to give the world, to share your story so that it helps others see what is possible. And by all means, enjoy motherhood and the gift the Lord has given you. Thank you for listening to the Sickle Cycle Podcast.